0: blessed it is sure. me Appreciate y'all's help on the hymns. I told James they're a struggle for me sometimes. We're going to sing uh, Jesus Paid It All. and pray find in Das Died my soul to say, my lips shall still repeat, Jesus faded. Christ in me and Lord I need you're my hope and stay and Lord I need one defense my I need is great. I'm broken inside and I give you my life. I may be weak, but your spirit's strong in me. My flesh may fail, but my God Strong in me, my flesh may you fail, my God, you never will, my God, you never will.
1: Well, good morning everyone, and Haley, I was just sitting there thinking, uh, I know that people may not care about this, but I gonna say it anyhow, we have known each other for eight years now. If you didn't know that, since 2010, it don't feel like it's been eight years. We've got older, um, and I've got bigger. But anyway, um, good morning, everybody. Uh, as you can tell, Troy is not with us, as he told us last week. Um, he is actually playing at a D now in Columbus. Uh, actually, for the gentleman that uh, gave us Troy's information, so we could call him to be a worship pastor. So uh, glad that he's able to serve the Lord in that, and he's actually leading worship for their uh, the, the home church. Um, of the D-Now this morning, so excited to see God use him in that way, but he'll be back with us next week, so uh, thank you, Haley, for being here uh, and leading for us this morning as you do so often for us as we need it. Um, this morning, if you would, we're going to be in John chapter 3, verses 1 through 15, um, but I just wanted to give an update, too, because uh, I forgot to tell Jamie to say anything, uh, and once again, that's my fault, just like the, not putting the announcement slide up. Um, the, we had the youth event. Friday night for those that didn't get to make it and join us with that with um, the, the association put it on uh, but all of the churches in the association were to come together and worship with youth together uh, and all church donated to the event and uh, we've talked about it for about a month now uh, and just about what was going on it went off very well the band did fantastic the speaker did well he did really good as also um, we had about 105 people there in all um, which may not sound a lot when you think about four cities coming together to do something, but uh, considering the association has never done anything for the youth in a very, very long time, um, really excited about the attendance we had. I was really expecting about 60 people in all to come to it uh, and almost doubled that. Uh, so hopefully it'll be something that we, uh, as the associ- association agrees to do uh, year-round, uh, to provide something for our churches to come together, to have something for the youth in our communities. Uh, but that re- went well and excited about what God did in it. We also, most importantly, we had one individual that saw that he has drifted from the Lord and rededicated his life and recommitted his life to Christ and is hopefully going to seek after him. He goes to um, Jimmy May. I- I'm not too sure where he pastors. Uh, he goes to Jimmy May's church. Uh, so uh, I'm sure Jimmy will follow up with him and, uh, hope- and help him, uh, help disciple him and lead him in the right way. Uh, but great event great time this week. Uh, I hate that if you didn't get to make it I hate that you didn't get to It it's fantastic time It was loud and it was exciting and it was loud um, and I know I'm only I Guess I'm 26. I'm maybe 27. I'm not sure um, I guess I'm only 26, but I I've been out of youth ministry now almost four years So I'm not used to the loud anymore. Uh, so but it was a really good time in uh, the a time for youth, but I want to pray real quick and Uh, Actually, no, let's just stand and let's read the word together, then we'll pray. John chapter 3, verses 1, says this. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what you have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If you have told you earthly things, And you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except for he who ascends from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you, we thank you, we praise you, we glorify you this morning for who you are. God you are the God that delivered the Israelites out of the hand of the Egyptians. You are the God that is with us through all of our trials and tribulations, God you. But ultimately you're the God that as you see in the last part of this God as we read it together this morning, you are the God that lifted the son of man up on the up on the pole God so that now we can look upon him for salvation. And we thank you for that. We thank you for the glory that has come from that, the forgiveness, the love, the mercy, the graceful this God that you have provided and bestowed upon us because of the name of Jesus this morning I pray as we look into what it means to be born again father and we ask you know what it is and why it's necessary and how it happens father I pray that there's any here that doesn't know you father that 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 this be the morning God that they are born again that they relive their life that they become a new man new woman within you father but God for us that are here God let us look upon Christ on the pole and not let us just reflect and look passive what we used to be, God. But, God, let's look forward to what you were making us to be. How you're going to continue to grow and sanctify us, Father. We love you, we praise you, and we glorify you. In your Son's perfect and holy name. Amen. John chapter 3 verses 1 and 2, uh, I want to read it quickly and just kind of give us an understanding of what is going on and then we'll jump into uh, everything else that's going on. And I just love this verse and next week we're going to pick up in verse 16 and uh, if I asked you to quote John through 16, you could probably tell me that one, right? Uh, that's the one that most people know and, uh, and I almost preached all of it but there's just so much stuff going on this morning that I, I, I had to break it up like this. But we see that it says in verses 1 and 2, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This is the man who came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. So this has been a common thing that we've talked about so far, and we'll continue to talk about it through Jesus' ministry. But uh, this man named Nicodemus, he is a Pharisee. And what a Pharisee, uh, most Pharisees would have been part of a, a religious group named the Sanhedrins. And the Sanhedrins would have been the religious leaders, but ultimately the, the leaders of Jerusalem. They would have made laws, they would have made sure the laws were enforced, they would have led the people. And so Nicodemus is this leader in the community of the Jerusalem. He is this religious leader of the area, and he comes to Jesus by night. Um, there's many speculations why he comes to Jesus by night. Uh, some think that he's, he's doing in he hiding because he would be persecuted by the rest of the Sanhedrin. Uh, but we really don't know. We just know that he comes to Jesus by night. And when he comes to Jesus by night, he referenced to him as rabbi. He says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher that has come from God. He's saying you are a a great teacher, that you're this teacher that has come from God because the only way you could do the things that you do, the only way you could do the miracles and the signs that you do is if God was with you. And what's so important about this, though, is we see who Nicodemus is. But then also we see is who he's saying Jesus is. He's not calling Jesus a Messiah. He's not saying he's the Son of God. He's not saying this is the God himself with us. He's saying that you are a great teacher. He is not identifying Christ as something that is worthy enough here. He's just declaring him as a great teacher. Then also, what's also just a little side note about Nicodemus, He is actually one of the gentlemen that goes and asks for missions to remove Jesus' body from the cross after his death. So we see that something about this story or some point in Nicodemus' life, he changes and, and God saves him because he, he sticks his head out there later. But what we see is this conversation that goes on among them. And this is the opening of it. He calls Jesus a great teacher that God is with him. And then we see the beauty of what Jesus says. And this is kind of one of the biggest questions that we have this morning when we look at this text. I want to answer three questions. Um, and if you're here and you're a believer, you, you may, uh, may actually have these same three questions in your mind, in your heart. As, uh, we see this idea that Jesus is talking about that you must be born again, that you must be born again uh, to inherit eternal life. And so the questions I'm going to ask this morning and I'm going to answer is, why are we to be born again? What does it mean to be born again? And how are we born again? Um, and really, the question that you really may have is, what does it really mean to be born again? You, really, you, you may understand why you should be saved. You understand how you should be saved. But we, really, what does that look like? And I really want to focus on that this morning. But the first thing we see is in verse 3, and it's why one should be born again. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And really, uh, this is identifying what it means and why uh, why one must be born again. Is that for one to be see the kingdom of God, for one to have eternal life through Christ Jesus, that they must be born again. They must accept Christ as the Lord and Savior. But really, it's a little more in-depth than that. I don't want to add to what Jesus says, but I want to explain it a little bit better for us because we don't come to Jesus just so we can have heaven, right? We don't come to Jesus so just so that we can have a good life after this life ends. We come to Jesus for so much more. We come to Jesus for forgiveness of sin, so that we can be with the Father forever, so that we can live for Him, we can glorify Him, we can bring him honor and glory that we can serve him when we come to jesus it's more than a get out of hell hell free card it is so much more than that but so often what we've done is we've limited to that and so when jesus says that one must be born again to inherit the kingdom of god what he's saying is that one must be born again to find forgiveness of sin because the all reality, and I say this all the time, but the issue is that we have a perfect and holy God that is, is all-knowing, all-powerful, perfect, and then we have ourselves and we're far from that. We are so imperfect, we are so sinful, so fallen, so depraved, that the issue is we have sinned against God and it has separated us from Him. And because we've been separated from the Father, now we can't be with Him. So the biggest issue in our life is nothing that happens in this life, but rather it is sin itself. And so when we are born again, what it means is that we're calling upon someone, which is Christ, as we're going to see in a minute, for salvation, for forgiveness of our sins. And when we're forgiven of our sins, what happens is that we're then reconciled to the Father, that we can now be in a relationship with God Himself. And then because of that, we can have eternal life in Christ Jesus, that we can live forever with God rather than away from God in eternal punishment. So when Christ... First says that a man must be born again. That is why. That is why you have to be born again. That is why your neighbors need to know the gospel. That's why you should share the gospel with everyone around you. It's because if one is not born again, they cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Second thing I want to ask is what? What does it mean to be born again? What does this look like? What does this really mean for us this morning? It's in verses 4 through 8 says this, this, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born if he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel of what I said to you. You must be born again. I'm going to pause there because I'm going to come to 8 in just a minute. But Nic- Nicodemus is an educated man, okay? I want us to understand this is that Nicodemus is a very educated man. And so when Jesus responds with that he must be born with water and spirit, he was being a whole lot more gracious than I would have been. Because I just want you to imagine that somebody, you're talking to them about being born again, and they say, how can somebody be born again? Are they going to go back into their mother's womb and be born again? It just doesn't make sense, right? We have several people here that work as n- nurses and things of that nature. I think of Haley specifically. She works in the... Um, whatever that department's called when they, they give birth to children. Um, and I think of that. You, this is just a con, this, this is something he should have known. Nicodemus is just, in this moment, he's asking a dumb question, right? Can somebody really be born again is what he's asking. And, and Jesus was a whole lot more gracious than why I would have had. I would have called him an idiot or something of that nature. Um, but he asked this question. He says, can a man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Obviously, that's not possible. Right. Obviously, this is not what Jesus is saying. And Nicodemus should have known this. He he shouldn't have marveled so strongly at what Jesus was saying. But what's important is what Jesus had to say in response. He says, and he answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. What does this mean? What does it mean to enter, uh, to be born again of the water and the Spirit? There's so many speculations when it comes to this first one. To be born of the water. What does it mean to be born of the water? Some would mean that it's a, uh, some people take that it means a physical birth because, uh, uh, you know, we're born in that kind of way. And then some would take that it means baptism. Uh, but really, both of those are, are, are not really what he's trying to get at here though baptism is so important, though baptism is important, and if one comes to Jesus in salvation, he must be baptized, if all possible, unless there is something that is extremely preventing one too, because it is a command of God to be baptized after one is saved. And if one is not willing to be baptized, then maybe it shows their heart behind why. Um, but obviously there's cases where one couldn't, as for example, the man on the cross. Um, but what we see in this is, he's talking about being born of the water. For us to really understand that, I want us to look at Ezekiel 36. Um, if you want to turn with me, you're more than welcome to. Ezekiel 36, we're going to be in verses 25 through 27. This is, a, this is actually a scripture that Jesus seems to be referring back to in this moment when he talks about water and spirit. But Ezekiel um, 36, 25 through 27 says this. I will sprinkle... Clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all of your uncleanliness, and from your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and be careful to obey my rules. The important thing when it comes to the water is verse 25 it says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. From your uncleanliness and you from all of your idols, and I will cleanse you. So what he's talking about here is not a physical water that is touching us, that we're not born of a physical water, but rather it's talking about the cleansing of sin, the forgiveness of sin. So that when we call upon the name of Christ, as we're going to see in just a minute, as we look upon him lifted up, we're going to see this idea that the cleansingness of the waters represent this idea of being forgiven of our sins. It's this is forgiveness of our sins and really um, there's a fancy word for it and I, I, I really find these uh, significant, um, but there's one called regeneration. Uh, regeneration simply means the moment in which you are regenerated, the moment in which you are saved, the moment in which you are forgiven of your sin. And what's so important about that word and what this really means to us this morning is that when you're cleansed by the water, when you have the water birth of which Christ is talking about, the forgiveness of sin, it's a moment thing. It happens in an instant. That when, you, when an individual calls upon the name of Christ for salvation, in that moment they are forgiven. In that moment they are saved from their sin, from death, and from hell. In that moment they find a hope like no other. But the difference is, he goes on he talks about this birth of the Spirit. The birth of the Spirit is slightly different. The birth of the Spirit, there's a word that we kind of refer to it, and it's called Sanctification. Uh, I actually want y'all to say this word with me. I've never done this before. But say sanctification with me. One, two, three. Sanctification. All right, sanctification, what it means, it means the process of growing to be more like Christ. Now, that's not a, that's not a Webster definition or nothing of that nature. That's me wording it myself. It's the process of growing to be more like Christ. Isn't this is the birth of the Spirit. And if you read verses 26 In 27 of Ezekiel, we see that it says this, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I will put them within you. And then I will remove your heart of stone and put a heart of flesh. Then he says in verse 27, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. This isn't something that happens immediately. This is a process that happens in our life. This, is, this isn't forgiveness of sin. Forgiveness of sin is what brings salvation. And what sanctification is, is us growing to be more like Jesus. This is a lifelong process. We cannot, if we, every day, if we grew more and more like Jesus in our entire life, we would still fall short by a million miles that we can never be good enough, we can never live as Christ has called us to live, but our goal and our job is to allow God and to trust in God to change us as we live this life. That's why you see some people that when they come to know Jesus, that next day they may still use the same language they used the day before. They may, use the same, uh, they may have the same attitude. That's why when you're at work or when you're doing whatever you do throughout your day, you may see the old self come up every now and then. Now, I may be the only one that deals with that, but I sin from time to time. I mess up from time to time. I fall into temptation from time to time. But that is God working in our hearts. He's creating a new heart in us. And this takes time. This is a process. And we will never truly be sanctified until we are standing in heaven with our Father in heaven. So the Spirit, born again of the Spirit, is something that is a lifelong process. Really, we see two things here, though. one is for salvation, and the other is growing in Christ. But ultimately, I want to come back to verse eight in John chapter three. It says, "The wind blows where, you, where it wishes, and you do not hear its, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from and where it goes. So is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. That when we're born of the Spirit, when we have come to Christ in salvation and we're growing in Christ, I want us to, be, I want us to understand really what this verse is saying is that salvation is a work of God that God the Father through God the Spirit calls one unto salvation through Christ Jesus. That this is God calling us to Himself and then we respond accordingly. And this is a work of the Holy Spirit. This is why when we pray, we ask God to soften the hearts of man. This is why we ask God to, to teach and to show us the words that He has for us because God has to do this. And it's not only does God have to call us to salvation, but God has to continually destroy and kill the sin in our hearts so that we can grow in His Spirit. So what does it mean to be born again? First and foremost, it means to come to Christ in forgiveness of sin. It means to pray to Him and ask Him to forgive your sins and to trust in Him above all else. We're going to talk about that one in a minute. But it also means to grow in Christ. What we see in Paul's letter, this is, tells us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And what he's talking about, he's not talking about that we earn our salvation through our works, but when we come to Christ in salvation, then we begin to live like someone different. That just as James says, faith without works is dead. He's not saying that if we have works, then that's what saves us. What he's saying is that when we have faith, then we have works that go with it. And that's exactly what sanctification is, is that when you come to Christ in salvation, you begin to then live differently through the power of Christ. It's not an immediate change. It's not a perfect life, but it is a life that is beginning to change gradually through Christ Jesus. For some, that may seem different than others. I have a good friend of mine. Uh, he is um, not living in the life he should at this point in his life, but um, at one point when he came to Christ in salvation, he was high that day. God saved him. His high went away. He dropped every drug and everything he did. This was high school. He dropped everything he did in that moment and began to live for Christ. For him, it was an instant thing. For many, though, it's not like that. For many, people come to know Jesus and they still struggle with the same sin day in, day out, and as somebody pulls into them, eventually they can conquer that sin through the power of the Holy Spirit. The sanctification looks different for everyone, but the point is, is that we're trusting in God to teach and to develop us every day of our lives to be who he's calling us to be. Then so... The next question is how is one sanctified? How is one regenerated? Verses 13 and 15 says this. <coughs> no one has ascended into heaven except for he who is descended from heaven, the Son of Man. He's talking about himself. He, no one has ascended into heaven, but he who that has descended, that Christ in his birth, he descended from heaven onto earth, that he is the Son of Man. And then he goes on to 14. And Moses And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. Um, I have this idea, this theory, that when you read Scripture, and you see a perfect example, and you want to turn back to it, that's what we should do. So if you would, turn to Numbers chapter uh, 20 with me. Numbers 21 with me. Uh, this is the story of Moses raising the serpent up. Moses, uh, Numbers 21, verse 4, says this. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way of the Red Sea to go down to the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke out against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food or water and no loathe this Worthless food. And we loathe this worthless food. So I'm going to pause there because I'm going to get to the other in a minute. So let's just lay the picture here. Is that uh, God delivers the people out of Egypt, as we talked about this morning in James' scriptures out of Exodus. Is that he destroyed the Egyptians. He delivers them out of Egypt. And then after they get over the Red Sea, we actually see that God puts a, a, a storm, a tornado in front of them that guides them. Something behind them to protect them. Then eventually he provides manna from heaven. And he, it says that even their souls did not wear out in this time period. God provided everything for the Egyptians, for the Israelites in this moment. He provided everything for them. Time and time again, he provided different ways of water, different things like this. But every time, and it's a constant thing, as I'm reading through Exodus right now, I see it so often, is that these Israelites, they come to Moses and they complain about the, what God has given them. They complain about not having water, not having food, hating the manna. They, they complain about all these things. And then we're getting towards the end of the story. And what we see is that they do it one last time. They do it this, this time here. Maybe not the last, but they do it this time here. And what does God do? It says, then the Lord sent the fiery serpents among the people. And they bit the people so that many people have died. So apparently what happened was these people were questioning who God was. They were questioning his deity, his sovereignty, his love, his compassion. They were questioning who he was, that, they, that he was going to deliver them to death. And so what does he do? Is He sends down this, this curse, these, these fiery serpents. Um, I, know, I don't think anybody here likes snakes, so I think you can understand this. So these fiery snakes come down, and they begin to bite the people. When they bite the people, the people begin to die. Pretty natural, right? If you really think about it, this is something that could happen easily today. That if a snake bites you, you don't do anything about it. This there's is it can kill you. Um, but what's so significant about this is that they complain, they, they turn against God. So God brings forth this curse. And when he brings forth this curse, then what happens is the people begin to recognize their fault. And that's what we see in verse 7. It says, And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that take away the serpent uh, from us. So Moses prayed, to, uh, prayed for the people. I'm going to pause there again. And so what happens is these people come to Moses because Moses is this, kind of this in-between guy between the people and God. He's this propitiation. The same thing that Christ is for us today is this who Moses was for them then. And so what we see is that they come to Moses. They say, pray to God that he would remove these serpents and forgive us, that we have, we have sinned against him, we have spoke against him and yourself. And so just pray to God that he remove these serpents. Then verse 8, the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole, and any serpent that bit anyone, he would look at it, the bronze serpent, and live. So Moses prays to God. And then what does God tell Moses to do? He says, Take this pole. I want you to put a bronze serpent on it. And whenever people look upon that, then they will be forgiven, then they will be healed of the curse. And what's so significant about this, and what I really want to point out about this, is that they, this, this curse falls upon the land, it starts to kill people, and they pray that this curse would be removed, but it's not. That's what's so significant about this story, is that the curse is not removed from them, but rather a deliverance of the punishment of the curse comes, Right? is that the snakes don't leave the camp, but rather the, the, the way to be healed from the po- poisonous of the snakes is provided. That when they were bitten, they would look upon this thing that was raised up on a stick, and they would be healed. They would have faith that God would heal them. They would trust in this God to provide for them, and then they would be healed in that moment. Same thing for us. It's that a curse has happened. The curse of sin has happened It has fallen upon each and every one of our lives. The curse of sin brings forth the death, brings forth punishment, brings forth hell, brings forth a lot of different things. But the idea of sin does not leave us. Sin does not leave our camp. We are not relieved from the curse, but rather what Jesus is doing here is he's comparing himself to the serpent because he would then become the curse that would heal us of the curse that Christ took upon the sin of all humanity so that we could have forgiveness of sin. He became sin so we can be forgiven of sin. And this is exactly what we see in the story of Jesus, that He was taken and He was marched up the hill, He was nailed to this pole, and He was raised up on a hill. And now, because of the death, the resurrection of Christ Jesus, we can now look upon Him on a pole and have forgiveness of sins, just like those of the Israelites looking upon a stick with a serpent on it that we can now be delivered from the curse that has entangled all of us to death. So we see this morning that we should be born again because it brings forth forgiveness and reconciliation, eternal life. We see that what born again means is that we come to Christ in salvation and trust in Him, forgiveness of sin, and in doing so, we begin to grow and to live live more like Him. But how do we do this? How do we come to Christ in forgiveness of sin? As we look upon Him on the cross. We realize that this is our deliverance of sin. That we no longer trust in ourselves, trust in our own ability. We no longer grumble about the things in our life, but rather what we do is we begin to look towards Jesus and we understand that He is the only thing that can deliver us from the sin, the curse of our land, the curse of our lives. He is the only thing that is good enough and worthy enough to bring us out of that. And without Him, we have no other hope. Without Him, there is no other way of salvation. That we must look to Him to be born again. And when we look to Him to be born again, what we do is we cry out to Him. We ask for forgiveness of sin. We ask for His deliverance. We ask to live more like Him. We call upon Him and we trust in Him above all else. That is how one is born again. Now, many of you might have the question, what now? Many of you may be sitting here and you know that you trust in Jesus for forgiveness of sin. That you've come to Christ in salvation. Maybe you're here and you don't know that. Maybe you're here and you don't know that you've actually done that. And you want to do it today. I would encourage you to do so. I would pray that that would be what happens. But what now is this? And it's plain and simple. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, you've never truly called upon Him for salvation. Look upon Him. Call upon Him for forgiveness of sin. The second thing is if you're here and you know Jesus, let's go back to this word, sanctification. It isn't coming to Jesus and then doing nothing else. It's not coming to Jesus and then living our lives how we want to. Is coming to Jesus and then allowing God to change us each and every day so we can live to be more like Him and to accomplish His will and to bring Him glory. When we come to Jesus for forgiveness of sin, that is the first step of our life with Him. After that, we begin to be a part of a local congregation, to gather together, to worship together, to do those things. And then even in that, we become a disciple of Christ. We begin to read His Word, be in prayer, have a relationship with Him. But so often what happens is we come to Jesus for salvation and then we don't allow Him to change anything in our lives and it should cause us to ask the question simply, is did I come to Him in salvation? If you look the same today or very similar today than you did 25, 30 years ago, did God really work in your life in that moment? Or did you have an experience, an emotional attachment to a service and then you trust in that rather than trusting in Jesus? See, sanctification... It's something that happens regularly and daily and in all lives. If you trust in Jesus for salvation, you trust in his word to transform you. You trust in prayer on a regular basis. You trust in the local body of believers to encourage you and to build you up, to help you grow in him. When you are being sanctified by God, you are killing the sin in your life rather than justifying it. This morning as Haley comes, I want to end with this statement. And this is just a summary of everything. One must be born again to be forgiven of sins, which reconciles them to the Father, thus providing eternal life. This happens once one looks upon Christ for salvation by the calling of God the Father through the Holy Spirit. And after they come to Christ in salvation, they begin to be sanctified by Him. Sanctification is not a work of ours, but it's a work of God through His Word, through His Spirit, and through His Son. This morning, do you need to trust in Him? This morning, do you need to continue to be sanctified by Him? Or maybe this morning, you need to commit in your heart that you're going to trust in Him each and every day. That you're going to look upon Christ on a cross and say, That's who I'm going to live like today. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you, we thank you, we praise you. God, I thank you for Nicodemus. Thank you for Him coming to you in the dark. He asking, this question of how is one born again? And because of that, God, we now see that we must be born again to inherit eternal life, to be with you forever. But not only that, God, but we see that you are the one that saves us and grows us. And God, I pray that that's exactly what you do this morning. If there are any that are lost, God, that you call them to yourself, they respond accordingly. And Father, if there's any here that Maybe they just need to, in their heart, commit to you again Pray they do so. In your Son's perfect and holy name, amen. If you would, let's stand together this last song.